0: all right uh so sophie do you remember when i told you that i would send you that file you know you know the file right the 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 file oh yeah 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 the file that said when the next episode is gonna be out
1: Uh uh-huh yeah yeah
0: yeah i'm sorry it took like six months to send it to you but uh now that you got it it's today today's the day
1: oh today's the day today's the (laughs) day
0: welcome everyone let's make an episode yeah it's another episode it's it's today uh welcome everyone to the gears cast i am chris and i am joined as ever by the beautiful and stunning and
1: lovely voice having sophie hello thank you (laughs) so how are you doing today (laughs) oh i'm doing great i just recently graduated uni so i am having the time of my life just chilling and Doing fun stuff like recording podcasts again. Yeah, I mean, congrats on that, first of
0: all. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's pretty fucking awesome. Uh, I'm working on mine as well. I'm going to be uh, done probably early next year. So pretty hype. I can't wait to be a professional podcaster just like you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is now my job. Yes, quite obviously, famously. I'm having a little bit of a crisis, uh, also famously. My friends, my family have known about this. I I usually get really sad around my birthday each year. And this year, my birthday rolled around and I was sad as usual. And it just like kind of didn't stop. (laughs) So (laughs) now we're like a week after my birthday. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm working on it to stop. I'm I'm like waking up at 6am every day. And I'm doing my chia bowls and doing my stretches and doing my yoga. I'm working on it. But you know what the best medicine
1: is? Is it video games? Now, I... <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, especially online ones. No, <laughs> wrong. Uh, it's uh, it's
0: creative stuff. It's podcasts. So here we are. you are curing myself today. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it helps. Oh, it will. It will. I'm, I'm sure of it. We're not going to be talking about any news because quite frankly, like, who cares at this point? Like, ooh. Activision is doing an Activision again, and EA is doing some microtransactions. Boring. I want to know about uh, five-year-old games that Chris
1: has played. (laughs) Also, by the way, we don't have five hours of this podcast, so we can go over all the news we missed in the past half a year. Yeah. (laughs) What (laughs) did we miss? It was mostly just like a bunch of companies getting sued. By the
0: way, (laughs) the, the Epic and Apple thing, like... I think we talked about it briefly last time. Turns out both lost. Like, Epic just needs to pay, like, Apple back all of the money they cost them. And Apple needs to stop being a dictator about the apps that are on their store. So, like,
1: Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> the company's got <laughs> wrecked the famous loss loss situation where only us the customers win
0: i've waited so long for this to finally happen and now it did oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's that on
1: catching up do you want to start uh sure we're just gonna be talking about games that we have played in the past half year today so i'm gonna start with a If you're listening to this podcast in order and you just listened to the episode we released half a year ago, (laughs) then this will be a good segue. Uh, (laughs) I am talking about Curse of the Dead Gods, which I have played a little bit half a year ago. And since then, I've played a bunch more and I have a bunch more opinions on it, which you all are excited to hear, I'm sure. I definitely think that Curse of the Dead Gods kind of got shafted a little bit by like getting popular close to when Hades got popular, mm-hmm. because I feel like the comparisons that were made to Hades just kind of shed the wrong light on the game. Curse of the Dead Gods doesn't have an impressive story or as much of an impressive story as Hades does, but I think it's a game that just excels in other aspects Uh, Namely the gameplay, I really really enjoy the gameplay. I've played about 30 hours now in total and it's really good. I'm enjoying all the different weapons and I'm definitely enjoying getting more of an expertise on the combat because there's a lot of hidden tricks. Uh, You can do like perfect dodges and perfect parries which give you more stamina you can let your enemies get killed by traps instead of you killing them yourself. And combos are fun as well. It's just a really great combat system that I feel like is worth exploring a bunch more.
0: I've played the game as well, as mentioned last time, but I, I haven't really played since. Uh, what I'm wondering is, cause I never really got to the longer, harder dungeons, because obviously the longer a dungeon is in Curse of the Dead Gods, the harder it is. Do the upgrades and like the offers and the bargains, do they get more complex? Have you been surprised by like a lot of the curses later on in the later temples? Or has it been mostly the stuff that you already knew?
1: I can tell that even 30 hours in, I am still finding new curses. Not often. I don't know how the game works in the background, of course, but from my experience, it seems there's like a rarity assigned to the different curses because I've been getting some, a bunch, but there's been some that like I only ever got once and it was in the later dungeons. There is still new stuff. You can like find cursed weapons, which I don't know if you ever got to which are like a special type of weapons that is really good at something but also gives you some sort of a unique debuff like maybe generate darkness whenever you kill someone or maybe you deal way less damage in the light and normal weapons generally don't have drawbacks. Definitely those weapons are really fun to play around with. So I would say there's still a lot more to see. Partially in the curses department and in the weapons department, but I would say the most new stuff is the bosses and the enemies. I don't know, how far did you get? I got decently far. I got
0: basically to like half of what the temples have to offer. Like a you know how you gradually unlock basically the difficulty levels? Yeah. And I
1: finished all of the middle temples. Okay. So you finished the ones that have length to, like you find two champions, right? Two champions, those I've, I've all done. Yeah. There's a bunch more and I have not yet gone through all of it. Oh. So I cannot say how much further it continues, but basically the third here is you fight the two champions that I have previously fought and then you fight a boss mm-hmm. which is unique to that temple then there's like a, the tip of the pyramid you just go through all three temples at once oh what all of them at decreased length so I'm gonna tell you how that works so if you go through the regular temples you go through a series of rooms then you fight the champion series of rooms you fight the champion series of rooms you fight the boss. That's it. Yeah. In the long one, where you fight all three, you basically fight a series of rooms, and some of those rooms can be those champions. And then, at the end, instead of a champion, there's the boss. The three temples are the same length as one temple, but it's really interesting because you get more darkness per room enter, so you really want to fight those champions that are now optional, because whenever you kill a champion, you get to remove a curse. But also, since it's just a regular room, there's also no healing fountain after the champion, so you have to be really good at fighting that champion for it to be worth it, you know? And then you fight a final boss at the end of all of that, and when you defeat the third boss, you get sent into a room where you can, like, make offering to the gods, if you have the money, if you got the gold throughout the journey Mm. and didn't spend it. But if you don't make the offerings, you get something bad, like... If you spend 5,000 gold on a god, then maybe you get, like, an upgrade to your weapon. But if you spend no money, then maybe your weapon gets downgraded or, like, one of your relics gets thrown away or something like that. And then you have to fight the final boss with that. And it's really fun. Wow. That does sound really fun. (laughs) And what I also found great is the amount of curses you got impact the final boss and they get incorporated into his moves. No way, that's so cool. You can get corrupted during the final boss fight or maybe had some curses from before, but since it doesn't matter anymore, those instead get turned into attacks. And that is amazing. (laughs) So I love that. And then when you finish this one, the tip of the pyramid, you get a whole new screen of challenges. The hard challenges. So far, I am (laughs) still at the beginning, I have only beat one. Wow. So it it gets a lot tougher than before. And I already thought it was pretty tough. And I'm also surprised at how good the fights are. I fought the champions and I fought the bosses, right? Mm -hmm. And you can like unlock just like pictures, whatever. It's not important to the game. If you defeat the bosses and champions several times without taking damage at all. And when I fought them for the first time, I was like, what the hell? Like, this is not doable. Like, I cannot do this without taking damage. But I feel like the bosses and champions are so well designed that you absolutely can, because I have done it several times already, and I've done it on the final bosses as well. You can learn the patterns. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll check it
0: out again, because like, that sounds really, really, really hype. And like, I... Ever since Hades, I've been craving roguelikes so much. Like you'll see as well with the games I'm going to talk about (laughs) that, that, that sort of uh,
1: influenced me a bunch. Do you have any closing thoughts? I would say if you didn't give Curse of the Dead Gods a big chance because you played Hades previous to that, play it again. Just don't expect a great story, but give it another shot.
0: I'm going to actually start off with the game that I wanted to talk about like six months ago, (laughs) but didn't because we we took a break. And it's it's a very interesting one because it's uh, the latest Layton game, so Professor Layton used to be a very, very, very popular puzzling game series for the DS and the 3DS, and it was made by a company called Level 5. They made such high quality games. And looking back, I think this was through an insane crunch culture, because there weren't a lot of people and they pumped out games like crazy. It was basically every two years Professor Layton game and every one year Inazuma 11 game and I ate those games up like for the DS and the 3DS. Funnily enough, this is a fun fact that is not wildly known, the Inazuma 11 series in Europe ended because a company called Galaxy, a German company, sued Nintendo for trying to release Inazuma 11 Galaxy, the last title in the series. And Nintendo didn't want to invest the money in court case. So they just never released the game in Europe. <laughs> Uh, which is a crazy, <laughs> weird fun fact, but that's how that actually happened. So yeah, I was very curious because this Leighton game, the latest Leighton game, I think it's called Leighton's Mystery Journey. It actually doesn't star the titular professor Leighton at all. It stars his daughter or adoptive daughter, as we later find out. And it first was released for phones and tablets a bunch of years ago. At that time, level five was trying to get into the mobile market with a bunch of Leighton games where he also played as his cut which was more murder focused because they were detectives Which Leighton isn't really, he's just a guy that is kind of smart. Yeah, I was very curious, especially about the story, because I always connected the Leighton games with a really, really, really well told story. In fact, when I was a kid, I hated the puzzles. I kind of like started liking them over time. I was gifted the first Leighton game. Yeah, I mostly played it for the story and the pretty anime cutscenes because there were so many and they really drew me in. I loved the art style. Firstly, I, I didn't even enjoy the puzzles at all. Over time, I, I grew to like them, of course, and I knew about the last game in the Layton series, this one, that it was really, 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 really unpopular, <laughs> and I wanted to find out why. And I can agree now that I've played it and I've played it to completion a little bit over the end as well. I played a lot of the post game as well uh, those months back and I understand why. So first of all, the game doesn't really have a story as much as it has a bunch of different chapters that are mostly closed in uh, with themselves. And they are all somebody hires Professor Layton's daughter to find a mystery out. In one chapter, it's like finding out if a house is really haunted. In one, you're searching for a thief, stuff like that. And the problem is like, that sounds kind of fun an episodic structure where you just kind of solve cases and stuff. But the problem is really the pacing of the game, of the story, uh, at least, breaks its neck. Like, completely. Because the first case you're trying to solve is somebody literally stealing the clock from the Big Ben. That's a huge thing. And that seems almost like the height of escalation. And the problem is the, the chapters that come after that just get smaller and smaller at random. The second chapter is just finding a dog. And the third chapter, all of a sudden, is solving a murder. <laughs> and then the fourth really downplays it again, and so on and so forth. It's quite bizarre, <laughs> because like I said, it doesn't really have an overarching plot. And this also has an effect on the puzzles and the mysteries themselves. The puzzle master of the Leighton series, the guy who made a lot of the puzzles that came in into the series, he he used to work for newspapers as well, so he was very good at making really difficult puzzles. He died, unfortunately, uh, before this game was made. And I think the other people who worked on the game knew they couldn't really replicate his style. So they tried to appeal obviously to the mobile game players and made the puzzles easier. But the problem with that as well is that it kind of all just melts together with the story not really going anywhere. The puzzles themselves also don't really go anywhere. And they're very rarely tied to the story. Usually in the latent games, there was at least some explanation why a puzzle like that would take place in that place. In a sense that like if you talk to someone, to a character and you knew that they were like a sporty character, they would give you a puzzle that had something to do with sports, at least in their visuals, right? And in this game, it's all just all sorts of random. Like, yes, if you're in a bakery, you usually would get some food related puzzles. But I've had a bunch of times where I was like in a creepy mansion and suddenly a puzzle of a pizza popped up and I was like, what? <laughs> and yeah, like I said, the problem really is its pacing. It also has some really annoying characters that have terrible voice acting, like the voice acting all throughout the game is really, really, really bad. You don't believe any of the characters, any emotions they are trying to sell. And the problem with like, the main character Leighton's daughter is that she's too flawed and too perfect at the same time which sounds extremely contradictory but what I'm trying to say is like she never has any issues or problems solving any puzzle ever which like Leighton had back in the time he was thinking about it really hard. (laughs) She immediately solves any puzzle all the time but at the same time she's extremely distracted and just wants to talk about food and shopping and all that stuff. Like I think what the intention was, was making some sort of strong female character, but they didn't really know how to go about that. So they were just like, she's a genius, but also she likes food and shopping and jewels. And it's just such a mess. It's such a mess. She also can talk to dogs and there's dogs that talk in the game, which, okay, (laughs) that wasn't really an element in the latent series before. So I don't really have a lot of lot to say about it. I can't really recommend it. Like I can only recommend it if you desperately are trying to get more puzzles in your life and really miss the Leighton style puzzles, because they're clearly still Layton style. It's not completely dissonant. But yeah, if you missed a world like I did, don't play it. It basically doesn't take place in the latent world at all. In fact, the game kind of blue balls you at the start, because literally the first cutscene is about Leighton's daughter wondering where her father went because her father disappeared. And the game doesn't talk about that ever. Literally, the first cutscene is his daughter missing her father who disappeared. And the last cutscene is just like, hey, by the way, we haven't forgotten that like she's still looking for her dad. Yeah, if you want to find out where he is, just watch the anime. <laughs> Which is like, what? The anime that came out, like, what, six years ago? I don't even know where to watch it. Like, I, I wouldn't even know where to watch it. Okay, the last thing I have to say about the game is I found the plot really, like, ludicrous at times. It was crazy. Like, even the third case in which you solve a murder, literally the solution to it is that there wasn't a murder. <laughs> yeah, the, the solution to solving the murder is just like that it wasn't a murder and it was just like fake and like it didn't happen. It was just like for attention and like it has that shit all the time in the second case The solution to finding the missing dog is that it's a cat yeah no I'm not kidding you got my point like the solutions are completely random that's another element that was completely taken away But the seriously, usually had like a central mystery where all the characters were like thinking about it and wondering about it and you could like pick up the clues and stuff and when Layton at last was just like you're the killer you knew why he said that and you could completely like follow his logic and like with this game because the solutions are so random like nobody knows what the main character is talking about and she want, all of a sudden will just say like oh yeah the solution is obviously that, that this isn't a dog or some, or this isn't a murder or you know, all that stuff. I wanted to talk about the final chapter of the game because then the game suddenly remembers that it maybe should have told a story. <laughs> And it tries to like bind together the previous chapters by saying like, oh, all of uh, Leighton's daughter's clients have been these powerful, influential uh, millionaires of London. They have a a secret network, dark intentions and stuff. And in the final chapter, you're trapped in a puzzle mansion with these millionaires and you really don't know what's going to happen, like who's behind all this? Who's trying to like torture and question these millionaires? What have they done? What are they hiding? And, like, who is the real bad guy, right? And so it turns out the real bad guy is a companion you had throughout the whole game that is in love with Leighton's daughter. Because, basically, he thinks the millionaires have stolen his money and have gotten rich uh, through that because his mom died and he didn't inherit the money. And, like, the solution to this is so insane, (laughs) it's basically like oh the millionaires didn't steal the money they just hoarded it because they didn't know where the guy went the son of the dead mother who was a billionaire or whatever and so like they just kept the money and waited for him to like show himself and talk to them so they can like gift him the money the whole plot of the game could have just been resolved by him talking to them like one time to any of them (laughs) even though we spent the whole game with them and it's just insane the way it portrays money and rich people and millionaires and stuff it's just crazy like i've never seen this shit like it portrays all of these crazy millionaires who spent their money on the most random bullshit it's just like these do good people that are like they earned their money this is all deserved This is, you know, good, and they're good-hearted people, and now they're friends with this guy, again, who tried to kidnap them and got arrested. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) what? (laughs) Leighton's daughter's companions are a talking dog,
1: which only she can understand, and a guy who is in jail. (laughs) I actually found the game in a used games bin uh, a couple weeks ago, and I picked it up, so... (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, you're gonna love it. <laughs> I didn't spend full price on it, so at least I have that going for me. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you can like play dress up with her. <laughs> so
0: that's <laughs> cool. If you do play it, please like tell me your opinions. I am very interested in what you think about the story. <laughs> All right.
1: I'll try going into it with a clear mind, but I will share my opinions. <laughs> awesome. I have played Fire Emblem Three Houses, and it is a Fire Emblem game, and it is a good Fire Emblem game. I have just kind of got really tired of the way Fire Emblem does storytelling, which I think is really bad. So the battles are good. I really enjoy the fighting. It's great. And it's nice that, like, you can move in a 3D world. It's cute. I have played the 3DS games before and it hasn't been done there. So that is nice, I guess, but I hate the way that Fire Emblem just in general does storytelling. It feels extremely stiff. It's like you're watching bad actors play a theater play. It feels so awkward. Characters don't behave like they're actual people, just at all. Most characters are super one-dimensional and it's hard to treat them in your mind as anything else than troops you will fight with on the battlefield, because I feel like there's just not much to the different people, like you could sum up every person in one sentence. Oh, this guy likes to eat, or this girl is trying to flirt with everyone, or this guy is trying to get a girl or this girl is super shy, you know, and that's basically all there is to the characters. I was trying to get into Fire Emblem Three Houses with like, I will enjoy the fighting and I will also enjoy the character interaction and stuff. And there is a lot of character interaction. I just don't find any enjoyment in it. It sucks that all of those characters really feel like characters that someone has written and that's it. They don't have much more to them. This is super fascinating because like for myself,
0: I, I loved Fire Emblem when Fire Emblem Awakening came out. It was like my Fire Emblem peak because that game came out when I was very, very young. So like all these anime tropes, they were completely new to me, especially because I didn't I I didn't watch a lot of anime back then. And I still don't like animes for me has always been like a tangential thing for me. And so I was like completely shocked. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then when Fire Emblem Fates came out, I had seen a lot more anime in between those games. And I remember that Fire Emblem Fates was like delayed so many times because it is a huge project. Let's say Free Houses is even bigger. (laughs) And I remember just not being able to make it through like a bunch of playthroughs of that story because it was so incredibly cliched. And I remember that it on multiple occasions just had the cliche we just talked about of just you could have prevented like the death of millions if you just would have talked <laughs> to someone about this. <laughs> like that was the, the whole Fates spiel. And I, I think they excused it back then with just like a curse or something that you just couldn't say certain things. But like still, that's just the same thing, like even worse. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to hear that
1: that seems to not have changed at all in Fates. It's a shame because... I think a lot of things have improved since since Awakening and and Fates because it's really nice just like seeing the environments and actually being able to like move in the environments instead of just seeing it in cutscenes and it's really cute and there's a lot of like animated cutscenes but it sucks that the characterization in the story didn't really move anywhere. Uh, have you played Fates and Awakening? Yeah, I have not finished any of them, but I have played through the majority of both of them.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. So I have two questions. First of all, what would you say gameplay-wise were like the big swooping improvements like in the combat
1: system and stuff? And second of all, are you planning on finishing? I think I am planning on finishing uh, Three Houses. I've been skipping through all the story. That has worked well for me. So I think I will finish the game like that, but I don't really care about the story anymore. I just see no enjoyment in it. And about the gameplay, I definitely think that like being able to see the environments you're in is a great improvement. But that's not of course directly tied to combat. I don't think I have enough experience with the combat or enough memory of the combat in Fates and uh, Awakening to compare them well. I'm sure something's changed, but in general, it just feels similar to me with the knowledge I have. And, you know, I played Awakening and Fates a couple of years ago, so I don't have the best memory of them. All I can say is if you really like the gameplay of Fire Emblem, then you will enjoy the gameplay of Three Houses a bunch. It's still Fire Emblem and it's still good. Just don't expect a good story. <laughs> I know it's
0: my turn now, but just shortly about Free Houses. I've been meaning to play it for years, but with Free Houses, I've always had the following mindset of like, okay, this is just gonna be like 300 hours of my life and I can't really make any content out of it, which I know is a dumb idea because I play so many games that I don't make any content out of, but still, And and I was interested in like the, the axe girl boss woman, like her story, you know, did you pick her? Yes. Okay. Oh oh that that's oh <laughs> okay. uh it's my turn. I'm actually gonna talk about going under. Yeah, so going under is a very, very, very creative roguelike. The story hook is basically you're a young woman who just finished college or uni and she gets hired by this parody of mix of Google and Amazon, that is Mega Corporation, and she thinks she's there for a marketing internship. Unpaid but still it's a marketing internship is pretty good. The problem is she gets there and she's actually told that they don't really need her for that. In fact, they need her to explore the catacombs beneath the mega corporation because it is full of monsters who are created by dead other corporations. This sounds a lot more darker than it is. Um, Graphically, the game is super interesting because it actually looks like, you know, all these ads by the modern companies, like Google and stuff where they have these, uh, these people who don't really have hands and are just like, very round and very stickman ish, very simplified, they've basically that as its in game graphics, which I've never seen is so creative looks Good, but it also looks cheap, and I think that's good. I think that's good for them because it means that they they were able to like pull this game together as a small indie studio. Right off the bat, the humor is great. The gameplay is snappy, responsive. It doesn't finick around. It doesn't have bugs. It doesn't do weird stuff. Everything behaves the way you want it to behave, which is perfect because this is a roguelike and it's really, really, really difficult. So it is basically set up, I guess, slightly similarly to Curse of the Dead Gods and other roguelikes in a sense that the different dungeons, the different dead companies are differing in length. The first dead company that you explore is called Joblin. It's a parody of, you know, all those apps that give you a job and all these, um, well, (laughs) I don't want to be mean and call them schemes, but I've worked there in the past. It's a scheme <laughs> of like giving poor people jobs and then taxing them for it. And its final boss is basically a giant goblin that like drinks a lot of coffee <laughs> and like tries to make all of his goblin underlings uh, hyperactive for giving them coffee all the time. It's very creative like that. It has a lot of puns and stuff like that. That first dungeon is has basically just two floors and then you already get to the boss but all the other ones are uh, a lot longer. The gameplay hook is basically imagine Dark Souls, Zelda Breath of the Wild as a roguelike. It has basically that kind of fighting system where your weapons break extremely fast. You basically only fight with office supplies. Basically, you can roll and dodge and pick up weapons at the same time. You can throw weapons. Certain weapons will break immediately if you throw them. Certain weapons will break immediately if you just try to use them to fight. And that gives you so many tools because the whole, all of these rooms that you're exploring, all of these offices of these different companies are full with crazy tools lying around. To be fair a lot of the weapons that are lying around aren't really good <laughs> you you have stuff like just a bunch of pins that are really bad if you throw them you can use them basically as daggers to try to stab people with them but they're not really strong but as you kill certain enemies they will all also drop their weapons and you can pick those up and they're are crazy heightened moments in a gameplay, but you still have to be really, really, really focused because a lot of the stuff deals a lot of damage. There's really crazy stuff, like even in the first dungeon, some enemies will use their phones to summon a cab, which you can then drive yourself and drive into the enemies to just run them over. <laughs> yes, a cab in an office and the cab will explode. So you got to be careful as to not get caught in the explosion as well yourself. Similar to other roguelikes, you also unlock different upgrades as you go on. Or should I say you unlock the chance of finding these upgrades in the dungeons? You have money as a currency that you can just use in the dungeon to buy health or health upgrades or you know other talent upgrades, I call them. But you also have a second currency, which is used to basically unlock these talents, unlock crazier ones. And I want to say the game doesn't really allow you to get too powerful in the combinations because it is so random and a lot of the upgrades aren't that strong. But I definitely think that if you get lucky enough with the upgrades that you find throughout the dungeons, you can get pretty insane. Like there's stuff that makes you bigger. Or your hands bigger, that makes you really muscular, that makes your weapons bigger. I found that the most useful, because it increases the area of effect of the weapons uh, to no drawback. And there's also interesting synergies that uh, fit to different play styles, like your weapons deal more damage if you break them. The weapon hit that breaks a weapon is like a critical hit, so you can look to just break your weapons all the time. The problem with that is, of course, if you don't have any weapons left, you're just resigned to your fists which deal absolutely, basically, bar non damage. I think it's one damage. But even that, you can upgrade. <laughs> you can make your fist just be two giant boxing gloves with knives in them. It's, it's crazy. So yeah, I think the humor of the game is great. The parody aspect is great. I've heard some people criticize it for being kind of annoying. I don't really quite get the same vibe, because I do think it's a very fresh concept. Uh, there's even things like working from home, Because the game was, I think it was released before Corona and then the working from home update was released during Corona. Otherwise, I can say it doesn't really have that much of a story. It does have cutscenes from time to time as you just like go into the offices of this uh, mega corporation that you're working at. They sometimes have like parodies of like meetings where everybody's just talking absolute bullshit and you're just like (laughs) sitting there like what are these people actually saying it has a bunch of fun characters that talk in different ways a little bit like animal crossing or banjo kazooie where it's just a bunch of babbling i think one character actually talks in like keyboard sounds (laughs) which i think is really funny And these characters are then uh, slightly animated during dialogue scenes. It's a little bit similar to Hades, where they will just pop up in a very pretty art style and then have a bunch of emos and reactions to things. Other things I can mention is these characters will give you quests to complete in the dungeons, like setting a bunch of people on fire, (laughs) and this will increase your reputation, which then feeds into the last system, I guess, in the combat, which is your phone. You can use your phone during combat to uh, summon different things like what I mentioned earlier, a cab, you can just call a taxi with your phone and run people over with it. You can call in a health pack, all that stuff. It's it's incredibly creative, very vibrant, difficult as any roguelike is, but I think very rewarding and very precise. I think that's all I have to say about uh, the last thing that I wanted to mention is that, uh, like I said, I haven't played that much, but I still really, really enjoy my time when I play it, basically just because of the humor. Because the humor is also incredibly implemented in the gameplay and the dungeons themselves. All the dungeons have unique mechanics, of course, where there's going to be unique enemies, unique bosses, unique uh, mini bosses as well. So the one I'm at right now this parody of Tinder, it basically has this thing where you enter a room, and you can then match or unmatch with a person (laughs) on the floor. If you match with them, the game will then say that you have got a date with them. And the date is just a mini boss. So you can decide if you want to fight the mini boss or not. And these mini bosses are the different types of people you may find on dating apps. There's literally a girl who will ghost you she's like this this kind of parody of the shy girl with a lot of long hair and she's basically a ghost like she will become intangible and if you attack her a little thing will pop up that will say ghosted (laughs) exclamation mark and she will try to ignore you and then just teleport away and spam you with emojis like literally she will just like stream out emojis out of her phone like a bunch of laughing crying emojis and stuff and I think if memory serves me right, you can even pick those up and like slam her with them. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, going under an incredibly difficult, incredibly
1: creative, really fun to look at game. I know you talked to me a bunch about the game and wanted me to try it out. And I think you convinced me. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'm glad.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really crazy. Like, uh, I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Like I said. Because I know that you're good at hard games. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the, the breaking weapons mechanic is something that you need to get used to. But you can definitely like really work around it and get really creative.
1: So I want to talk briefly about Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Because mm. I know you have already talked about it in another episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have gotten around to playing it. And I have played a lot of Ori and the Blind Forest when it came out, back when there was no Definitive Edition. And I loved that game so much. I replayed it many times. I, like, did almost all the achievements. Not all of them, because one of them is literally finished the game without dying. You know, I did the ones where you do it with no skill points. I did the one where you have to finish it under three hours. I just loved the game so very much and played it <laughs> a lot. And I was excited for her. Ori and the Will of the Wisps when it came out but only got to playing it recently, like a couple months ago and it was much better than I expected it is amazing I enjoy it a lot more than Ori and the Blind Forest which is something I didn't think I would ever say (laughs) about that game, it is just an amazing game, I very much recommend it we did talk about it already so I'm not gonna add too much to it, but Just check it out, it's brilliant, it's a great sequel. Much better than I thought it would be, it emphasized the good things about Ori and the Blind Forest.
0: I'm gonna pack two games that don't really have a lot to do with each other in one short burst uh, this time. I'm gonna shortly talk about Torchlight 3, I continue to play it with a friend of mine, I like it, but I really, really, really wish uh, the performance on the Switch would would just be better. It's such an interesting game because it has so many systems that are really fun. If only it would run better and had better online. It has really wonky online connections. If you are looking for an RPG that has just really crazy classes, I still think that's like the strongest selling point of the game. Like if you want to play with a mage that needs to use shadow and light magic in order to achieve a higher archon form if you want to play as an a ghost pirate captain that spams ghost soldiers and cannons and has crazy weaponry and all that stuff if you want to play as literally a robot oven or a guy that just like builds a train all of that stuff is excellent and really fun to play around with it has some crazy skills a very simple game the only problem is the performance on the switch is awful the graphics are extremely blurry The online is probably not going to work for a bunch longer because it's not peer to peer based. It's server based. So you just plop on a server and you both like lag your brains off. (laughs) It's really sad. (laughs) I really can't like decide what my opinion on Torchlight is because it has such great elements and then just runs so poorly. By the way, piece of news that I quickly wanted to mention and see if you've heard about it. So. We're recording this a day after Sora was announced for uh, Smash Bros, which was a huge thing. You know, these Smash character announcements always bring a thing together with, oh, everybody knows who this character is, everybody's happy that this character is in Smash, but like none of their games are on Switch. This happened with Joker from Persona, <laughs> and now it's happening again with Sora from Kingdom Hearts, and that's why Square Enix suddenly announced that like all the Kingdom Hearts games will come to the switch and everyone was like yay and then quietly in brackets square enix was like on the cloud (laughs) and it's like as people justifiably have said did you really just say a bunch of playstation 2 games are not gonna run on the switch and you have to bring cloud versions of it and square enix said yes (laughs) Look, I get it. I've been wanting to play Kingdom Hearts 3 for ages. I, I hate the Kingdom Hearts story, but there's an amazing thing about just being in a Disney world and doing your fighting stuff there. I think it's a beautiful idea for a game to just like dive in a bunch of crazy worlds from movies everybody likes. Uh, but like, what? What? <laughs> That's, that's crazy. Like, I'm, I'm thinking... I'm actually considering maybe playing the cloud version of Kingdom Hearts 3. But internet is such a delicate issue. As long as, like, capitalism doesn't calm the fuck down and allow everybody to have a good, stable internet connection, cloud games are just not going to be a thing. I just found that really noteworthy and interesting. I think they're selling it all of it in a huge collection, so it's not even that you can, like, buy... Kingdom Hearts 1 or 2 or 3 separately, but still, that's just a crazy idea, <laughs> like who thought about that?
1: That is wild, like I can't bring myself to have strong feelings about it because I've never been interested in Kingdom Hearts, I tried getting into it, and it never just caught me. That is wild, I don't know if there's like a, a lower production cost associated with cloud versions or something like that, I don't know. but. <laughs> I can't imagine its performance. I think there's like a
0: really lower cost connected with it, uh, if not like basically no cost, because you're, I mean, uh, I don't want to say no cost, but I think it's a very, very reduced one because you see it with a bunch of like major AAA titles where it's just like, oh, by the way, there's a cloud version for a Switch, I guess. Because basically you're not really doing anything, you're just like buying a server. You're buying a a PC cloud server, which I don't think they're that expensive, and then running some sort of, like, method for the Switch to interact with it. You're not even adapting the game for the Switch at all, right? Like, you're just literally coding, like... (laughs) when the switch on the other end of this uh, phone connection presses this this is going to happen right like it's not switch specific you know what i mean like this could be optimized for a pc for an xbox for anything right like it's just buttons to be coded to do something on another pc the whole cloud gaming thing it's just like when are these servers going to be shut off because i don't think the the hitman absolution cloud is going to run forever for the switch like right like In five
1: years, who's gonna care about that? I enjoy that when I buy a game, I just own it forever, even though, you know, maybe there's some reduced capacity. Maybe if I buy Smash Bros, then maybe in 20 years I won't be able to play online, but I will still have Smash Bros single player and Smash Bros local, you know? And I just dislike the thought that I buy a game, I pay for a game, and essentially, it's up to the company to determine how long I can play that game. I want to talk about Luigi's Mansion 3. <laughs> it's a fun game. It's a it's a Luigi's Mansion game. And it's really fun with its environments. I personally really enjoy the graphics. I enjoy the levels. I enjoy the bosses. It's been really fun. I do think that the game is a... little bit clunky in the controls. Uh, It took me a couple hours to get used to the way the vacuum thingy worked. (laughs) And the movement is just a little bit clunky. It's not as smooth as I would like. So I very much enjoyed the game. But it's been a little bit tough at times to move around and actually do stuff. So I do have that bit of a gripe about it. But I think it's still a pretty enjoyable experience. Have you, have you played or watched Luigi's Mansion? I've played it and
0: I, th- I think it was over a year ago at, at that point. I've just like played a, b- a couple of hours of it in like the mid stretch of it. And I really liked it. I think I've, I thought it was really fun. You can also play it uh, in two player co-op. And I, I thought the game was just like really pretty to look at. Like it has some really, really nice animations especially like they're so expressive L- luigi's like facial expressions and like those of his opponents it it's just all like really like it draws you in it it brings such a fun light hearted atmosphere
1: yeah absolutely i think the graphical and level design is really good literally my only gripe is bad the controls are a little bit stiffer than i would want them to be I have played Pokemon Unite, not the phone version,
0: the Switch version, which I heard that the phone version literally has a gameplay advantage on the Switch version. What? Yeah, because it has like, uh, it's like zoomed out a little bit more and the Switch version isn't, which I don't really understand. I thought that was intentional, whatever. I'm, I'm sure they're gonna fix it. They actually listen to the player base a bunch, which is weird. The big thing with Pokemon Unite is that when it was released I'm not sure if it's still like that but at least when it was released the game was pay to win. I know there was a lot of debate on it and I don't know why so many people like jumped to its defense and were like no it's not pay to win see this and this and this and this and it's just like no it was obviously pay to win. Basically The game has items, held items, that can be applied to your Pokémon before the match starts, similar to how runes work in, say, League of Legends, where it's just like pre-battle, you equip your Pokémon with a bunch of stats and a bunch of effects, passive effects, that are gonna benefit its playstyle. But these items could be upgraded with in-game currency or money. And every 10 upgrade levels, it goes from 1 to 30, It gained a huge bonus in its effect and its stats. These items, even at level 30 at max level, they didn't give you like 200% damage or anything crazy like that, but they gave you a substantial increase to whatever stat you wanted to increase as well as a strong effect, obviously. And so like people were like okay look but these effects aren't that powerful and you would literally have to like spend a hundred euro to upgrade a bunch of these items to level 30 like what's the use to which my answer is okay but that doesn't change the fact that it's pay to win (laughs) and in a MOBA especially like the most broken pay to win character of the game was Absol which is just like basically a critical damage assassin which normally had, like, a r- low crit chance and wouldn't have such a high random chance of just, like, one-shotting you. But if you upgrade, like, just a bunch of items that give him crit chance and crit damage, he would just, like, go around one-shotting people all the time. <laughs> and, like, that was nerfed, yes. But, like, even still, in a MOBA, the difference between five basic attacks to kill someone and four basic attacks to h- kill someone is huge. It's monumental. It's monumental. It's insane. (laughs) We're talking about the MOBA here. Like, if this would be any other genre, you'd guess, like, okay, this is a marginal, like, advantage. It doesn't really matter. But in a MOBA, it does. So, yeah. And the pay-to-win is not even, like, the reason that I stopped playing it. (laughs) I actually think the game is really fun. It has a bunch of differences to other MOBAs. It simplifies the MOBA formula in a beautiful way. I love it when people do that. That's why I like Heroes of the Storm. You basically only all have two active skills and an alt at all times. But as you level your Pokémon throughout the match, it will evolve, it will acquire different skills that you can swap out. So yes, you can only have two active skills, but you can actually Swap them to other skills that you might like more. And these can vary. Like, you can have a character that maybe you play him with two damaging abilities, or you play them with none except for your ultimate. It can really get crazy like that. Throughout the leveling, your Pokemon is going to evolve, you're going to upgrade these attacks that you've chosen. Instead of turrets or anything like that, the game has goals where you just jump in with your Pokemon and try to score your points, which you get for defeating other players as well as wild Pokemon and yeah that's it it's just a really fun cute MOBA I also wanted to shout out the fact that it has a bunch of different maps that are all really nice and pretty to look at that you can clearly tell where in the Pokemon worlds these maps are supposed to take place in with the Pokemon that appear in the map and the atmosphere in the maps I think are really nice there's a lot of positive sports atmosphere in the game which I like unfortunately the game is monetized to all hell through some really really <laughs> interesting methods like besides the items that i just mentioned and the pokemon that you can buy there's also outfits for your trainer which your trainers implemented as much as possible in the game so that other people see it, the kinds of skins that you're wearing but the funniest thing is like and the thing that i that i find most traumatizing and haunting is that like they're trying to monetize skins for pokemon and It just does not work for me. (laughs) They look awful. Like, I hate it when Pokemon wear outfits. And, like, all of these skins are just outfits. Imagine, like, Pokemon's, like, Guard of War and Charizard and stuff just wearing a lame fucking hat. There's Gengar as an astronaut. There's, like, Cinderace as a pirate. And it's just like, what are you... What? What are you talking about? Like, why? That looks... awful. It's so (laughs) ugly. And it's not even because of, like, the graphics of the game and stuff. It's just, like, visually. The thing about Pokemon is just, like, designing a Pokemon is an art. Designing a Pokemon is difficult because they need to be very, very, very pleasant on the eye. You need to balance where the eye of the person looking at the Pokemon is going to look at, right? The design can't be too busy. It can't be too anything, right? And every single time a Pokemon wears clothing... The design immediately gets too busy, because the designs are balanced. Imagine Charizard, which it has wings, it has a burning tail, it has a dragon's face, right? Imagine it wearing a fucking tuxedo. Your eyes would just, like, go insane. And, like, (laughs) that's what happens with every single skin in the game. It's actually baffling to me that people would, like, care to buy that stuff, because it's so ugly. It's so offensive to the eye. (laughs) and yeah otherwise than that it just has a like really unrewarding and grindy daily login system It has a hard cap on how much currency you can earn every week so that you can't buy any of the pokemon that you want through just playing fun game it's a fun game like the kits of the pokemon are really cool to play around with and
1: really simple but yet complex but yeah don't play it <laughs> i want to talk about short hike it is a really yeah. short game very cute not challenging but it's not that's not the point of the game it's just a really sort of pleasant experience both like visually and emotionally I very much recommend it I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to spoil it but it's amazing at the beginning of this year and last year I struggled a lot with enjoying games And I struggled a lot with getting back into playing and actually wanting to play games. And A Short Hike was the game that made me want to play games again. And actually enjoy that. So it's really good. And I won't spoil it, but it's adorable and it warms your heart. Play it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually, I've been meaning to play A Short Hike for a while. I've heard such good things about it. Maybe I, maybe I should really get around to it. I'm just going to be honest. I started playing Genshin Impact again after like a year of not really playing it. And it's just because I really didn't have a lot of time to play games. Because I was just like on the road all the time. I was away from my from my PC for basically two months. In the sense that I couldn't really play anything. Or even like from my Switch as well. I couldn't really play anything complex for a long, long while. So I re-downloaded Genshin Impact just to have like this feel of a more chunky game. Which I mean I still think that Genshin Impact is for a mobile game absolutely spectacular. I do not recommend anybody to play it on mobile. I think it's awful because the game can get insanely difficult at times and I can't imagine like dodging insane enemy attacks on a mobile device <laughs> like I ca- I just can't imagine how to do that like I, if I think about all the crazy boss fights I've done in the last couple of days now that I'm playing it on PC again I can't think of how to do that on mobile but I basically downloaded it to just to do like some daily quests and stuff and ramp up my uh, premium currency again for future character releases and stuff it's such an interesting game. Because I'm very much interested in Genshin Impact's future, just like I said last year. Because, as I said last year, I'm sure that they're gonna release a bunch of new regions and a bunch of new characters and stuff, and the game is gonna be full and very vibrant and interesting. And that's exactly what happened. Last year in the winter, I didn't play at that time, they expanded the first uh, region of the game, which is Germany inspired, and added like a huge Alps inspired region, which has like a mechanic of like you getting cold. If you don't spend time near fires, I basically think of it as like an underwater level where you constantly run out of air, but instead it's just like you're getting too cold and you lose health if you get too cold and gotta like stay near fires or anything that is like warm in general. And I found that that whole experience so fascinating, calming, interesting. Like it's such an interesting region to play around with. It's so mysterious. There's like a bunch of quests in that region that is basically just you trying to discover the secrets of this region it has a bunch of ruins puzzles which are normal in engine impact but do work differently in that region and it also has you like basically collecting dragon's blood for a blood drinking tree <laughs> that grows ever stronger <laughs> and it's very interesting to like find out what the deal with that tree is what the deal with like the whole region is it's called dragon spine and so basically i think like i puzzled it together this whole region used to be a giant dragon and it was killed by like the coals of the region I found it very interesting to play in that place because it's very Metroidvania style in the sense that you will constantly bump into things that you can't do right now and you have to keep exploring. But there's always, like, enough interesting places and enough interesting quests around you that you always want to keep going. You remember the places where you couldn't go back then. So, like, the final goal or one of the big goals of the region is to, like, reach the peak of the mountain which basically has, like the highest peak of this place, as well as probably the highest place in the whole game, which basically has this giant spear, a giant ice lance, which kills the dragon in the first place stuck into it. You unlodge it out of the mountain and it's just like, it's now permanently flowing above the game world, which looks so cool and impressive, which then just changes the areas that you can visit and stuff. Uh, the only major complaint that I really have about the region and that whole expansion of Genshin Impact, I mean, it's, it's almost a year old now, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, um, is that I wish that after you solve that many mysteries, after you clear that much ice, after you melt so much of it, and you make this blood dragon tree so much more stronger, that like the cold effect would diminish, The more you explore there, the more like fine grain you're exploring gets in this region, the more annoying the cold effect is because you you're no longer engaged in a cold effect. Like when when you first get there, it's something interesting, something new. If you just want to complete the region and explore it to its end, it's just really annoying to do. That's uh, Genshin Impact's Dragon Spine region. I'm now going to go to Inazuma, which is which is its Japan inspired region in the next few days. I don't understand why people keep complaining about there not being enough to do in the game. I think the game is like full of content and it constantly has events and stuff. What I said last year still applies. Incredibly greedy. Never gives you any characters. Really, really, really tries to get that money from you. But I have to say there's a monthly thing that you can pay five euros for. If you pay that monthly thing, if you really play, it basically has like a battle pass kind of deal where every month you can pay between five and like 25 euros the best package is like 15 euros so 15 euros a month is just like a world of warcraft type price if you really play the game that that much i think that's totally worth it and i've been doing the five euro thing for two months now and i have so much premium currency that i'm just like holding on to because there's no characters i want to get right now that are offered right now I still think it's a really good game. I still think it's a really fun game. I still think it's a very magical game in its own way. I definitely think the storytelling has gotten worse <laughs> than the last time I've played. But otherwise, I can still like fully recommend Genshin Impact. You
1: just really got to watch out for uh, the way they make money. It's interesting that there's actually like, cute stuff made for the game because the impression that i got of the game from before is that it's mostly serving as a money-making thing and i mean you did say it's, it is pretty greedy but i'm impressed at you praising the content this much so that's nice <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very interesting
0: uh, one last thing that i want to mention is like I, I really regret that i haven't played it in the past months because it had such insane events that i completely missed and people didn't really talk about it like events that are, were rewarding, that did reward you with characters, that did give you a bunch of stuff. I know that the game has gotten greedier, is what I'm trying to say, because I remember when I used to play, it was like a normal thing for the game to just like give you a character doing a reward, which that doesn't happen anymore. I miss a bunch of really interesting events where before the New Japan region came out, I think it came out in around August, there was an entire event of you like being on your way to that Japan region and just like visiting... A bunch of islands and just having like a summer beach type event thing that was apparently a huge region of uh summery islands and stuff for on your way to japan that was just for an event and they completely removed that region which is crazy to think about like imagine an open world game where a region is added for free that is huge for an event and then the event is over and the region is gone (laughs) That is so wild. (laughs) Yeah, like, imagine having that much money. That's, okay, one last thing about Genshin Impact, which I'm always going to praise, is I think it's one of the only hugely successful games where you can actually see the money. You can't see the money in Overwatch. You can't see the money in stuff like League of Legends or Valorant or, I don't know, a bunch of other popular games. You just can't see where the money is spent in the actual game. And in Genshin Impact, you can, because there's so many new enemies all the time. There's so many new regions all the time. There's so many cutscenes and so much voice acting and all that stuff. Every single patch, like not even just event or every few months, like every patch, there's new cutscenes, new voice acting, new crazy shit. I think with Japan, with the Japanese region, just even a new island, every single patch. So, yeah, it's greedy, but you can see where all that greed and money
1: goes to. Okay, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) I have one last game to talk about, and it's Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, the deluxe version. (gasps) And if you don't know what that is, uh, Mystery Dungeon is basically a roguelike sort of style of game. And the Pokemon versions, you are actually playing as a Pokemon. Or as a human who got transformed into a Pokemon. And you have a sidekick. And you're basically traversing dungeons that are randomly generated. And you are fighting enemy Pokemon. And you're recruiting them. And you're completing quests. It's just a world full of Pokemon without humans I have played the original, so this is a remake of a previous game. I have played Blue Rescue Team before, it was on the DS, and it was a really cute game. I have not finished either the original or the remake, but I can say I think the remake is a little bit easier. I think the difficulty was lowered a bit, but I still think it's at a fun level. The visuals are beautiful. It's just really nice for me personally to see a world full of Pokemon without the people in it. It's just something that I miss. You know, the Pokemon are in their Pokeballs or you find them in patches of grass and you fight them then. But there's just something so charming about a world where just Pokemon talk to each other and have their own settlements and it's really nice and the gameplay is fun too but the game just has a lot of charm and I really enjoyed that. (laughs) You said it's a remake, right? Does that mean that like a lot of modern Pokemon aren't in it or? I think so. From what I have seen the story is pretty much the same but I have not played enough to confirm that but from what I have seen the Pokemon you see are mostly from the earlier generations you probably won't see like Grookey or whatever but there's Mudkips but from what I've seen so far there's like no newer Pokemon but I think that's fine <laughs> yeah it should be it
0: should be the first free gens then I'm
1: thinking I'm not sure but it's possible yeah
0: so I'm guessing the last game and grand finale of today is also an old game which wasn't remade but was certainly Resurrected. It's Diablo 2 Resurrected. (laughs) So I was having a crisis in Italy. I was having a Chrysler and I was doing all all of my uni work and stuff. I was like thinking to myself, look this is going great. You deserve a treat. You've seen all of the cool trailers for Diablo 2 Resurrected. It looks really nice just get it and then i was like okay but i'm in italy i don't have my pc here and actually i don't like playing games like diablo on pc i know a lot of people just are just like gasping when i say that because for them action rpgs are just like a pc genre through and through, but I don't like clicking to where I want to go. I don't like the whole click 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 click. It's not it's not for me. And I come I come from an ac- a character action game background, like stuff like Bayonetta, Devil May Cry. That's my kind of spiel. So when I played Diablo on consoles, it very much felt like that. It was it just felt like a lot of hack and slashing, where with some RP- with a lot of RPG elements, but like still. I really like that oomph that when I press a button, there's just like hell unleashed, right? And so I informed myself on the day it was released. Uh, Me and my boyfriend were both like hyped and like looking at reviews and stuff to find out anything about the Switch version. There was so much footage about the console version, the PC version. You, You had such a good idea of what those versions of the game looked and played like before release, but nothing about the Switch version. And so I finally found it out, I did find out that the Switch version would just have four player co-op, and, you know, uglier graphics and 30 FPS, but I did find out that it was a stable for FPS. I found out that like the server technology and stuff wouldn't be different than like the consoles and PC. One very worrisome thing that I found out before release is that like any console version of the game wouldn't have an essential cheat that is really important when you play Diablo 2, which is basically the slash player count cheat. It's not even a cheat because it's allowed in online play in any kind of play as well. You play the game alone, you do the slash player count, and you say, like, slash player count three, and the game will be set on the difficulty as if you were three people. And this is really important in a game like Diablo, because that will increase the drop rates and the XP the enemies give you and all that stuff. The consoles not having that is actually, depending on who you ask, it's a huge problem, and depending on who you ask uh, for casual players, it's not really going to be that big of a deal. My problem with Diablo 2 on the Switch is that maybe, okay, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to admit this, maybe I bought it because I just thought the game looked good, and the problem with Diablo 2 resurrected on the Switch is that it's just, it's just Diablo 2, it's not resurrected, there's nothing resurrected about it on the Switch, it just looks like Diablo 2, it's very, 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 very washed out, and I think on a Switch version, They knew this because you can't really switch back and forth between old and new graphics as you can on those console versions and on the PC version. It's just this one Diablo 2 Resurrected thing, which the textures are just god awful. One of the things that made me interested in buying Diablo 2 Resurrected was just like this beautiful character select screen when you start the game and you can choose between seven really interesting and diverse classes and you click on one of them. You click on the sorceress and she will start doing these crazy pretty lightning effects and just look really cool and threatening while she's channeling that lightning and you get to decide if you want to play as this character. And on that character select screen already, I was just like shocked. (laughs) Like I clicked on on a character, you know, on the model, the characters you're playing in this game, the models of the characters that you will be playing as for upwards of a 100 hours and I was just like, what the hell is this they looked horrifying (laughs) like from completely gray and washed out textures to like their faces just looking like dead i was just like oh oh god and this is the person i'm supposed to be playing for this whole time the problem is not even that it's just washed out it's also just really pixelated and like the game works fine but obviously it's just a really old game and so like the modern part about it would have been the online functionality, but nobody's playing it on switch. Like I have a, an online character. I have an Amazon. I was just incapable of finding a match the day of release. I found a match with like two people who kind of left very soon after they joined. So that was already really concerning. So I'm mostly just left on my own devices playing alone. And it's a really difficult game because it is so old, so it will have like a lot of sudden gating where all of a sudden an enemy is incredibly strong even if it's not a boss and it would just like eat you up immediately and because it's an old game it's not gonna be like, oh, I died there I'll just like teleport back or do whatever or teleport home and like walk back No, instead you die, you teleport home because you died And you're just naked there. And then you're gonna have to run back to your corpse, wherever the fuck it is, and get your items back. Not even Dark Souls is, like, as cruel as to say, like, okay, I'm gonna take all of your weapons and your armor because you died. I just think it's unnecessary because it's just a lot of running. You have stamina in the game, so you can't even, like, run infinitely. So, like, the whole game is just a lot of, like, running, running. Not having your stamina to run. It's really unfortunate. Another major thing that turned me off of the game is that just, especially if the game wants you just to play solo, I don't get why they did this. So the way skill trees work in the game, which I love the skill trees. I still love the characters, the classes. I think all of their abilities are really cool. And you can do a bunch of different builds with with them. The way the game works, there's always going to be a primary source of damage for you. So like even if you play the Amazon, you're going to play like an electric Amazon where your main source of damage is an electric one, or your main source of damage is fire or ice or just physical damage. But you're very, 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 very rarely going to have two different types of damage that you deal. And so the problem that arises from that is that bosses don't have this, but like every other enemy has this, they have randomized resistances and these resistances will scale up there will be times where the monsters have such strong resistances towards the only type of damage that you deal that they will just, like, be immortal against you. They will take no damage. And so it kind of becomes tedious where it's just, like, this game of, like, there's so many enemies everywhere, and you just most of the time are just going to have to run away from them because they're not worth the time. They're not worth your mana Your weapon resistances, the fact that your weapon's gonna break if you fight too much, or your armor, they're not worth your time. You're just crazy overpowered demon slayer, but you're just kind of running away from the enemies. I have to say I regret buying it. I still think the cutscenes are really pretty, but I might just like watch the cutscenes on YouTube and let the hardcore old-school RPG players play the hardcore old-school
1: RPG and run around a (laughs) bunch. I can say that I very much hate corpse runs, and corpse runs that just get rid of all of your equipment as well is basically the only thing you had to sell me to absolutely convince me to never buy this game. (laughs) I think corpse runs just like deflate my sense of enjoyment or exploration from a game. I think that's like... The number one reason why I don't play more Hollow Knight. <laughs> an even worse version of a corpse run is just something I don't wanna deal with. It makes me wanna not fight anyone or not wanna explore because if I die then I have to like be miserable for half an hour. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a really long time, because like I said, like you don't really run that fast and running consumes your stamina. So you, it's so much running and walking all the time. People are going to be like, oh, maybe you just specced wrong or you walked into the wrong areas and stuff. Like even I have, I have a two characters, I have a, an online Amazon and a single player necromancer. And I picked the necromancer because I heard that it's like one of the easiest single player classes. And I'm having such a hard time with it. He just consumes so much mana with his spells that I just most of the time need to run somewhere, refill my mana, drink a bunch of potions and run back. And he feels really, really, really weak. With him, I try to skip a bunch of stuff, so maybe I'm a little bit underleveled or underpowered or something. But with my online character, the Amazon, she is overleveled for what I'm doing right now. Like, I've killed so many enemies online and with other players when, when they were there, which, you know, happened once. That I'm overleveled and I've done all the quests and I've got all the crazy equipment and all that stuff. And it still happens to me that I just walk into a room in a random tower and a group of enemies will just eat me. And then I'll just have to like find out where it was and teleport there and run through like a bunch of planes of the dungeon to find my corpse again. It's really annoying. Another thing that I don't get about the game Which I I can't tell you if this is a fact or not. But I I mean, I can only tell you what my experience was is apparently at least some parts of the maps get randomized each time you log in for like the main base and the start of the game and like your your first village, you know, that is your base for the time. I remember for 100% sure that when I first started my Amazon, the exit of that town was on the left. When I made my Necromancer, it was on the south side. And when I re-logged into my Amazon, it was on the right. So like what? (laughs) Like how am I supposed to even find where I need to go if the maps get randomized every time I log in?
1: I know that Diablo 2 randomized maps on every save file, but if it does it on login? That is wild. I mean, maybe that could be a bug. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think that could be a bug, especially
0: with the online. That it maybe, like, would have saved my character, but doesn't really know what my map looks like. Well... Anyway, that's my experience with Diablo 2. I want to say partly it's my fault. I I should have just known that like playing a really really old RPG isn't really something most people want to do right now because it's just like a frustrating thing. It has a lot of frustrating points. But I just really like, you know, I really like characters in RPGs. I think the, their skill trees are so fascinating and cool and have so many interesting elements. Uh, there's a bunch of things that I like in the game, for example, that Most items are valuable, even if they are not very rare, even on a high level, common items can be very useful. The whole item system is very interesting. I do wish that they wouldn't break all the time. I think that's dumb. But I have to say, as a closing thought, playing this game has made me more hype for Diablo 4. Because Diablo 4 is set to mix Diablo 3 with Diablo 2. I've seen a lot of stuff in this game that I found really, really, really appealing. I just wish I wouldn't like spent the whole game corpse running or doing that kind of thing. And I just know that if they combine this with like the more user friendly experience of Diablo three, they've got something really amazing at their hands.
1: Well, I am looking forward to Diablo four. And I hope that unlike Diablo three, it has a story. <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ, dude. Yeah, dude. That's the thing I'll have to find out and when I watch all the cutscenes of Diablo 2 on, on YouTube, I don't know much of Diablo 2's story. I mean uh, in a sense that like of overall what's gonna happen. like is it that like all of the prime evils have returned? All of them? Okay. <laughs> okay because yeah, I think I think the story of Diablo 2 is that like not only Diablo but also his besties are back. maybe. Because, like, before I
1: played it, I thought, like, Diablo 2 was just Mephisto. But apparently, it's, like, Diablo and all his friends. I know there is Diablo, I'm pretty sure. So, my information about Diablo 2 comes from when I played it when I was a kid, when I was in, like, elementary school. So, I didn't even know enough English to read the story. (laughs) When we started, I was afraid that this wouldn't be long
0: enough. I was like, oh, God we're just gonna be talking about games and nothing else like it's gonna is this gonna be enough but it was enough (laughs) and i'm really happy i was not afraid (laughs) yeah you're right (laughs) before we press record we were talking about technicalities and stuff and i was like oh maybe it's just gonna be a short episode and you were just like no it's not (laughs) (laughs) and and you were so right yeah i know you (laughs) (laughs) all right this was really really fun to do i'm so glad we're back and now uh hopefully if spotify approves our gay asses on spotify as well (laughs) hello if you're listening from there
1: (laughs) (laughs) hopefully it works out and i'm sure hopefully we're making more episodes in the future i'm sure we will
0: thank you all for listening we hope to hear you all very soon on the next episode lil do you have any closing thoughts
1: I wish you a lot of pleasant gaming experiences and just a lot of pleasant experiences in general. And uh, you can wish us that we return soon and that we won't forget about recording another episode for <laughs> the next half a year. If we do, we're going to be <laughs> talking about very interesting games again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's right.
0: <laughs> See you soon. Thanks for listening. See you
1: soon. Bye. Bye.